Good morning. We're reading from uh, Acts chapter 3. It's going to be found on page 9, 11 of your pew Bible. We're going to be reading uh, verses 11 through 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witness. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets, and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Christ. Thank you for the blood-bought redemption that he's given us, Father. As your passage said, Father, it just, that he would blot out our iniquities, Father. Peter, proclaiming from the, from the first to the last of this passage, Father, just proclaims Christ and him crucified. Help us to be that bold in our speech, Father. Help us to go out into the world and be that bold, Father. Lord, we, 
we come before you and this is a prayer of thanksgiving and, and we do, we thank you so much for the precious present you've given us. The blood-bought sacrifice of our sins, Father, by Jesus. Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Cody as he comes up and he preaches through these passages. And we ask that uh, you would just uh, bless, bless his words, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we conclude this morning our time in the book of, uh, in the chapter of Acts 3. Uh, we looked a few weeks ago at 11 through 21, and we're going back a little bit to uh, 17, and we're going to pull down through the remainder of the passage. The title of the sermon is The Blessing of Christ, and uh, playing my hand a little strongly here, it's coming out of verse 26, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness, but we'll get there. Let's first see what Peter is doing, and uh, maybe you weren't with us at that time, or even as you listen to this passage that's just been read, Peter is giving his second sermon uh, following Pentecost. A man has just been healed, a man lame from birth, you can see that in verse 2 of Acts 3, and, and the wonder of this miracle has attracted a very large crowd, and Peter Bold for Christ, taking the opportunity to, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter's preaching is, is not for the faint of heart. Uh, he declares the, the wickedness of the people that are around him. Uh, and, and in many ways, he, he borders on discouraging him and despairing them to such an extent that they feel hopeless. And yet, is that not what the gospel is to call us to do, is to take us to the end when there's nothing left of ourselves than to say there's only one hope. There's only one answer. That is Jesus Christ. That is what Peter does. And he, he there's a transition in his sermon, which is at verse 17. And that is where we pick up this morning. I've divided this section of 17 through 26 into three points in this Point number one is in verse 17 through 21, and I've simply entitled it, The Word. The Word of God. And notice what he says here. Verse 18. God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. We're told in scripture that God spoke through the prophets. And that now he speaks through his son Christ. That's in Hebrews chapter 1. But Peter is building a case here, if you will. And he's building a case based upon what his contemporaries, the people that are around him, know. And that is the prophets. They knew well of who David was. They knew about Moses. They knew about Isaiah. We could go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where Moses prophesies of one that is to come. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring... He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Singular. Of one. That is Christ. David in Psalm 22. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. This is what happens at the foot of the cross. Christ. Prophetically being talked about. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Later on in chapter 53 verse 3. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Peter, drawing from their history, is making a case that all that they know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of years of their history, has come to this point, this pinnacle, climax, that is now for them. That is, Christ has come and he had done what had been prophesied. Notice what is happening in verse 18 and 19. God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Next word, repent. The word of God here is calling the people that are in sin at that point to repent based upon, anchored in, the well-documented evidence of the reliability of God's word. What God foretold, Isaiah, David, Moses, Jeremiah, we can go on back, has thus fulfilled. It actually happened. 4,000 years of history comes true. Christ has been here. He's been raised from the dead. He was crucified on the cross. All that happened. Therefore, repent. Meaning if God has done all this and God calls one to repent, you take your life into your own hands to not believe God at that point. Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Repent. Now we spoke about this some weeks ago. But the call, the response, if you will, in the gospel, God, man, Christ, response, the response, if you will, is repentance. And the blessing that comes from responding in faith and repentance. Notice it looks uh, like quite a few things, but in verse 19 there are at least three things, 19 and 20. Repent, turn again. It's another way of saying repentance. What happens? Your sins may be blotted out. I don't think there's an illustration strong enough that declares what takes place when one who is guilty, who is still guilty, it wasn't as if uh, one is declared guilty at the bench, at the judge, the judge says you're guilty, and then some years later DNA evidence comes along and finds, no, you really weren't guilty. No, no, no. You are guilty, and yet it's strict, struck from the record. Sin's blotted out. One, another blessing, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. Third, he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive into the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. That he may send the Christ appointed for you. The basis of Peter's preaching, uh, the basis of the entire New Testament, When there is preaching, the basis that that should be any modern church's preaching is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension. There's a presumption here that you should repent because he's not in the grave anymore and he's not physically on earth anymore, but yet he's coming again. 
The proof of the empty cross and resurrection is the proof of the inerrancy of God's word. Whom heaven must receive until the time. There is a time appointed. There's a certain number of days that God has appointed for Christ to rule and reign from heaven. And then he comes again. Now it struck me just the last couple of days as preparing this service. Thinking about what about if it's 2019? Am I ready for his return? Do I long for his return? And I was left with the thought of skip 2019. We're still in 2018. Let's, just, let's not even get to 2019. That Christ would return and take his people. And I remember as a 9 and 10 year old thinking, if I think really hard that Christ might return, then he can't return because the Bible says that no one knows when he'll return. And if I'm thinking he'll return, then I won't miss the birthday party that I hope to go to. Now, I'm past the 10 year old stage by a little bit. And the hope now is that he'll return now. He'll say, save us from the, the, the sin that we, we might commit this afternoon or tomorrow. That we might not, might not defile his name any more than we already have. But because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has saved us from all our sins, has blotted out our transgressions, we can be with him for eternity and all this is gone. Oh, I pray that happens. I hope and trust you do as well. If you, if you aren't ready, if you don't hope he comes today, why not? Is your unfinished business? Is your priorities out of order? Notice what happens in this first section. There, there's a, in verse 18, God for, foretold by the mouth of the prophets that it's bookended in verse 21. Whom heaven must receive into the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. There it is again. Holy prophets in verse 18. Holy prophets in 21. I already mentioned, but Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Systematic theologian John Frame puts it this way. God's words announce what he will do. Then he acts. Then by further words, he interprets what he has done and announces further actions. He goes on to explain that in Genesis 6, God tells Noah of a coming flood. In chapters 7 through 8-ish, the flood comes and the flood then subsides. And in chapters 8 and 9, God then interprets the floods and announces future events to come. And this pattern could be seen throughout all of scripture, even into the New Testament. But the Old Testament announces The coming of Christ to redeem his people. The gospels describe the coming of Christ. The rest of the New Testament then interprets the coming of Christ and announces further events to come. Now I, like you, have every desire, I'm assuming like you, to read the Bible more in 2019. And you may be like me and in looking back on 2018 read it a lot less than you desired on December 30th, 2017. And it struck me, even as I think about New Year's resolutions, you may be thinking about the same thing. Uh, I often think about, uh, what do I want to do different? But I, I rarely think about what I have to change in order to make change. 
So instead of just us thinking about how can I read the Bible more, maybe we need to be thinking about what needs to be removed from my life that's prohibiting me from reading the Bible as much as I should. What's dominating my time? Uh, I, I run a, a busy schedule. You run a busy schedule. What, what things are less priority than the word? Those things need to be removed in order for the word to be able to have its rightful place. And really, when we think about reading the Bible for this coming year, it's a question of faith, is it not? Do we actually believe that what God says about his word being a sword, a hammer, bread, nourishment, a means of keeping yourself pure? Do we actually believe that? If all of us had cancer this morning and, and, and we had the, the real, the remedy, the pill, the, the, the medicinal cure, whatever, we wouldn't miss a dose. Out of the hope that as we took this, we would feel better. Is our soul not that much more important? Second point. First is the word. The second is the prophets. Verse 22 through 24. The prophets. Moses, continuing to build his case, has spoken about the prophets, but now he's going to bring in some eyewitnesses, so to speak. Moses is one of the people that he brings in, and so is Samuel. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and verses 18 and 19. It says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now there is a clear call to action here. A warning. Verse 23. Whoever does not listen to him shall be destroyed from the people. He's speaking of Christ. Christ who is our prophet, priest, and king. Christ who speaks to us the words of God. This is why in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, when Christ is ascending to his throne in heaven... Leaving his disciples, his 12 apostles, 11 at that time. He tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatever you would like to teach them. No, not at all. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That was the call for the apostles. That is the call for us. We're not to teach people whatever we think is right. Even with our children. We're to teach them the words of God. We're to teach them about Christ. Why? Whoever does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. It's it's very clear here. You take your life into your own hands to not listen to Christ. If you choose not to believe Christ, then you must be warned. Destruction lies before you. When I was growing up, I had some friends who had the wrong assumption that the New Testament was all that you needed to read. They never read the Old Testament. 
In fact, if you were with them, they wouldn't read it. If you went to their church, they wouldn't read the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is of great need for us. Even when we read maybe uh, in Leviticus, maybe you hit Leviticus around February or March in 2019 and everything comes to that, that slowdown. Look for Christ. Why? Because all of this, the scriptures are telling us, are pointing forward in the Old Testament to the coming of Christ. A house, if you will, is only good as good as its foundation. If we don't have the Old Testament, uh, yes, certainly for us as New Testament believers, the New Testament is what is most applicable for us, but the Old Testament is what is what paves this way. It's the pavers that lead to the house, if you will, and it is the foundation of the house. And the house is only as good as the foundation. The foundation of our faith is laid in the excellent word of God. And to really truly appreciate the building on top of the foundation, you know more about the foundation. How thick is that concrete? How thick is that rebar? How close was it tied? How, how deep were the piers around the edge? And when we look in scripture, we recognize that that foundation is solid. One of the great hymns of the faith, how firm a foundation we often sing. It's one of the few hymns that we sing that the author is not known. There's some speculation as to who might have written it. But it's a, it's a, it's a hymn, it's a song that calls us to faith in the word of God. And ultimately faith in Christ. Let me just read for you the verses. The first verse is a call to look to the word. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled? What more can he say to you? What else does God need to say to you to convince you that he is God and there is no other? What more does he need to say to convince the world that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men? Verse 2. In fact, verse 2 through verse 5 are paraphrases of scripture verses. In every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's veil or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land, on the sea, as days may demand, shall thy strength ever be. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Now, if you know the hymn, you probably can quote for me verse 6. But there's a shift. The first one is to call, the first verse is to call us to look to the word of God. The second through five is to call us to look to specific words, specific verses that encourage us in the scriptures. But the sixth verse is a call to trust in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for reposed, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Now, Peter is doing the same thing here. He's calling them to look to the prophets. He's calling them to think about 
Moses and, and Isaiah and Samuel and all these prophets, David. But the point not is the, the point is not the prophets. The point is, is not actually the, even the Old Testament written word. The point is driving to Christ. All the prophets proclaimed these things. The centuries of the unyielding, unwavering truth of God's word to his people. The people of Israel. Notice in verse 25, you are the sons, the contemporaries of Peter's day, have this lineage of God's faithfulness to his people. You can imagine for these people, this gospel being preached was, was new to them. It's a new word to the people of Israel. Dots were being connected from centuries past. And yet, they hated change. We'll see that in chapter 4 in February. But Peter grounds this new day of God's work through Christ and the character of God toward his people. As we even approach 2019, who knows what's going to happen in our lives? Realistically, we would affirm that there will probably be difficulties. And those difficulties may even bring doubts God promises those difficulties. The personal file of God's covenant faithfulness is needed for us. I think this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? What are you doing? You're simply developing your own file you can pull of the faithfulness of God in your life. You could do it back for 2018. This is exactly what Peter's doing. He's saying, look at the faithfulness of God throughout all these centuries. Is God not faithful to give you Christ? For us today, what has he done for you and your family this week? What has he done this past year, this past month? He saved you from your sins. You can start there. He's coming again. You can go there next. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's a good third option. But what else? He supplied for your needs. He's been with you. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. How specifically though? We need to write those things down. Those specific ways God has faithfully shown himself to us. That when those doubts may come in this coming year, we then are able to look back on his covenant faithfulness and be assured of his grace. Last section. The word, the prophets, the blessing. Verse 25 and 26. Peter is now going to make application to his audience that is before him. Like a master defense attorney, he's left no stone unturned. He's made a watertight defense of his belief. And he's now going to bring the the jury, if you will, to make a decision. He's going to call them to action. He's laid for them the whole case. Verse 25 and 26. You are the sons of the prophets. You are the sons of those to whom God has spoken. You are the sons of those to, through whom God has spoken. You are the sons of those to whom God has been faithful. You're connected to this. Now the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, your father, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Quoting from Genesis. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. You are the sons. They are Israelites 
And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. God had chosen his people, Israel. And to them had belonged all of the covenant faithfulness of God. He'd been faithful to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Telling Abraham that from him would come one who would be a blessing to all the nations. Genesis chapter 22 verse 18. When Abraham is in the throes of sacrificing Isaac and he in obedience to God, is preparing to sacrifice his only son. God supplies a ram. God supplies a lamb for this sacrifice. God tells Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God sent Christ to the Israelites first to bless them by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And when we think of us today, where, where are we in that lineage? We could continue in Romans, to so Romans 15, 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is Israel, to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is written, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and all and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It was sent first to the Israelites, but the promise to Abraham was that it would be a blessing to all the nations. We who are a part of all the nations, the Gentiles, God has blessed by sending his son first to the Israelites and then to us. God was truthful. And is this not grace? Look, I mean, look at the passage. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. Who is God sending Christ to? Those who have been disloyal to his name from day one. Those who have murdered his servant Christ. Those who have rejected him over and over and over again. Go read Genesis and Exodus. It seems like they couldn't get out of bed in the morning without rejecting God. And yet God in his faithfulness to them sends him Christ. And notice, he doesn't send them Christ and says, here he is. No, he sent Christ to bless them by turning them. Notice, there's no people involved here. Christ is doing all the work. Christ is coming. He blesses them by Christ turning them from their wickedness. That's what he does for us, is it not? He has turned us from our wickedness. We we could use all sorts of big words here. This is justification. This is new birth. This is regeneration. God, through Christ, taking sinful man and turning us from our wickedness. Those who are holding fast to our wickedness and saying, no, I want it, I want it. He breaks us free and he turns us to Christ. Our response then, verse 19 again. Repent. In faith, following his command and enablement to turn and continuing to repent. May I ask you this morning, how's your repentance these days? 
Is there known sin in your life that you aren't willing to do business with? What are you going to do about that sin today? And what are you going to do about it this week? There is this immense grace at the end of the year that you have a start of a new week tomorrow and and also the start of a new year in a day or two. And what would be better than to start on fresh grounds of grace as you submit to his lordship and walk in repentance? The peace and freedom of your soul in that is tangible. But maybe even a more important question is has he turned you from your wickedness? I didn't ask you, have you turned from your wickedness? Speaking to those who are not saved, has he turned you from your wickedness? You can't turn yourself. You can't make yourself holy as he is holy. He can. Has he done that for you? And as you examine your life and you think, well, I, I, I don't love God. I don't love Christ. I, yeah, it's nice to be in church and, and the songs might be nice and this and that. The people are kind. But, but do you love God? You won't love him unless he's loved you first. And the answer is, is, is before you. Will you trust him in saving faith and true repentance? Will you repent of your sin? Will you give it up, your sinful ways? And will you trust that only God can be the one who saves you? Then Christ will turn you from repent in repentance. He will turn you from your wickedness. You'll look back on 2019 at this time next year and say, I see change. I liked my sin on December 30th, 2018. I find myself a year now going, Ugh, I hate that stuff. That's Christ turning us from our wickedness. The implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of which I said earlier, is the basis for Peter's preaching, is threatening to the unbeliever. Maybe it's threatening to you this morning. If Christ is still dead, we've got no problems. He's imperfect. He's just another man. But if he's been raised from the dead, if he's alive, if he is a king that is going to come again, then you must face the truth of a returning king to judge eternally disloyal subjects. Here in the coming, starting next week and for a few weeks, we'll spend our time in Revelation. And you'll see in Revelation 4 or 5, that is not a king you want to mess with. Is there not a greater blessing, Christian, than the gift of Christ to turn us from our wickedness? The covenant faithfulness of God, even to his rebellious people. And we are still rebellious, are we not, as Christians? Oh, yes. And yet he continues to turn. He continues to be faithful to us. We can look back on 2018 and see all the ways that God has shown himself strong to us. And this week... I encourage you, I do the same thing. I'm sure resolutions are going to be made. I would encourage those. But if you're like me, most of them are not going to be kept. But there is one thing you can rely on this year. And that is the faithfulness of God toward us, his people. And that truth alone is what makes the hope of 2019 a good year. A great year even. Why? Because no matter. He will hold us fast as we sang. We are going to be those who are going to sin. We are going to be those who are going to fail him. And yet he continues to sustain us. 
And he will lead us through the fiery trials. But he will lead us. He will be with us. God with us. Emmanuel. We looked at that last week. There's no greater blessing than this. Than to be those who have had their sins blotted out. Those to whom Christ has turned us from our wickedness. And enabled us by his grace to be underneath his covenant faithfulness, covenant faithfulness toward us his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of Jesus Christ. What a kindness it is that you have turned us from our wickedness. Oh, Father, we love it. And yet you have created in us a hatred for it. You've given us life when we wanted death. You've given us love when we wanted hate. You've given us a desire for your glory when we wanted only our own. And what is more amazing, Father, is that you have blotted out our transgressions, not just those that we have committed before Christ, but those that we commit on a daily basis in Christ, and yet more amazing, those that we have yet to commit and will. You've struck them from the record so that when you, the holy God, looks upon us, you see not our sin, but the righteousness of Christ for us. Father, what better word is there for a coming year than we, than that word that declares, the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares we have been made right with holy God. Father, may that sink and embed itself deep within our souls to sustain us no matter the trials that may come that we may not fear. You've held us and you hold us and you keep us and you love us and you sustain us and you provide for us all because you have turned us in Christ toward you. We thank you for this amazing grace. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.